time to tune up the band. And once again, for the, I believe it's third year, isn't it? Uh, celebrate the best in professional wrestling, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Reardon and Dan, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. I believe it is the third year that we celebrate Black History Month, fellas. Let's go. It's not my. It's not the third year overall. Just to clarify for people. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I would have several questions if it was only just now that they started to do this. But I don't. Press in the immortal words of Taz. Have you fellas been up and down? Honestly, up and down. But I'm glad to be here. As ever, Izzy. Many things to do, but we we move. Indeed. We keep going. I think that is, uh, I think, pretty much the same. It's been pretty much of a, of a of a strange up and down week. I'm glad, though, I'm here with you fellas doing this, as per usual. It's a shame Melee Hellbot isn't here, though somehow I always feel like he's always stalking in the background. <laughs> he's with us one way or another. <laughs> Especially when we owe it, when he owes us money. Um, yes. <laughs> We give you this podcast. Thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Forever Pending, other platforms. That's right, guys. <clears throat> Especially during Black History Month, we are always pending and always, always will be. You damn right. <laughs> so, before we get on to our very first episode for this month, which will be a retrospective on Jacqueline, it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling news. What have you got for us this week, Dan? Uh, do we want to start with WWE? Do you want to go Fast Lane? Anyone remember Fast Lane? Oh yeah, because there's only been five matches announced, so I feel like we might we can get through this pretty damn quickly. Um, uh, okay. Uh, first one up, I believe. First one announced was the Last Man Standing match for the World Heavyweight Championship as. Seth Rollins, or Seth F. Rollins, takes on Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, I guess Seth's retaining, even though I've been loving this, uh, uh, this, this, this Shinsuke gimmick of, hey, 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 I know you've got a bad back, and I'm going to kill you because of your bad back. <laughs> also being stylish as all heck, like, I've, mm-hmm. never, known, I've never known a person to make a, a katana look like sexy, quite like Shinsuke Nakamura does. (laughs) (laughs) There, I said it, people. It's true. Uh, You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Nah, I think Seth's retaining, don't you? Probably. I have a feeling that's probably the case. Like, I I don't see Shinsuke fast lane of all things yet. Nah, he's retaining. Yeah. Um, next up, the next match announced was the Bloodline, the team of Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa, accompanied by Paul Heyman, to take on the 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 mega power tag team of John Cena and L.A. Knight. Yeah, yeah. Uh they are they are committed to this John Cena L.A. Knight thing. They really are. Um. Bloodline? Bloodline. Bloodline. I reckon Bloodline. I feel like Cena might actually take the L. They yeah. probably, it probably will happen. I yeah. mean, as far as I'm aware, the uh, the writer's strike has come to at least a temporary end. 
for yes. the, yeah for the Writers Guild of America. I think SAG-AFTRA is still yeah, striking. S- at the yeah, SAG, yeah, SAG-AFTRA are still are still on it. That that seem that might be winding down or might not, depending. You know how it be. Mm. So, but yeah, with, with all of that coming down, I yeah, I I see I see John Cena losing. Uh, and LA Knight still going. Let me talk to you. Yeah, LA Knight just repeating the same phrases over and over. Much to the chagrin of our dear friend David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the triple threat match for the women's championship as champion EO Sky takes on Oscar and Charlotte Flair. Um, See, now this is the problem, right? The build-up's been really weird. Where it's been really weird for this one, where um. Charlotte has been very demeaning to the entire women's division on SmackDown. <laughs> I I want Io Sky to retain this one. I feel like we've not seen the best of her reign as champion yet. Um, I feel that this will be a really good match with all three women involved because they're bloody awesome. But the build-up, as I said, the build-up's been a, the weakest part of this thing, honestly. Yeah, God, my my brain whispers dark thoughts and says Charlotte gets a nod. <laughs> do you feel yeah, that's like because you... that's because we've all been cursed by the reality that we're in. Do you feel like yeah. the TKO hive mind is very much the same as Vince's when in, in regards to Charlotte Flair? They're yeah. just there, like we. <laughs> they're just there like we need to do this is every time charlotte flair appears just every single person in wwe is just like it's like gets hypnotized and it's yes. like must give title yeah <laughs> I, I, eo sky I, i'm still hoping eo sky retains yeah i hope so but something in my in, in the darkest part of my heart says charlotte <laughs> Now Vince is back in power. Yeah. Oh god. Well, it is, but also isn't, but might, but might not be. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. Really weird that whole situation. Um, <laughs> I uh, it's it, it's weird. Uh, anyway, six man tag match as the team of Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits, the the faction that is yet to have a name, is going to take on the Latino World Order of Rey Mysterio. Santos Escobar and a person to be determined. Now, I believe originally it was going to be Joaquin Wilde, but he got injured. Yep. And I believe the rumor is Carlito is finally making his return, full time return in this match. If so, that's awesome. Which is crazy, by the way. That is absolutely crazy. Also, like, maybe they don't need a name because Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits goes really hard yeah do you know what it sounds you know what I mean with this do you know what this sounds like I know exactly what this sounds it like it sounds like a, it sounds like a banger funk band from the 70s that had, sound- had an album that they never released any more music afterwards yeah it it sounds like they released one thing it got sampled to hell and back yeah <laughs> basically they they did that and they also did a bloody killer version of pick up the pieces by average white band yeah, <laughs> like Bobby Lashley in the street. They're probably doing. They're probably doing like a, a one show reunion, or like a festival at Hampton Court or something. Oh, absolutely. 
they are, they are right they are they are right there straight before Sister Sledge. Like Do you think Montez Ford is the bass player for the, for Bobby Lashley in the Street Profits? No. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. um What's his name? Angelo Angelo Dawkins is the bass player. Yeah, no, 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 no. Montez, Montez Ford. Montez Ford is unless unless Montez unless Montez Ford is a bass player like Bootsy Collins is a bass player. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell I'll tell you who Montez Ford is. Montez Ford is uh the uh, Anderson Pack esque drummer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can tell, um, listener, that we are really into our our music here. But yeah, as for who's gonna win, this is a toughie, actually. I feel like we, if there's anything I want to hear or see, with Zelina Vega supposedly managing or being ringside, and Bobby Lashley expressing a lot of interest with a new person coming in, do you think this might be an, an, a vehicle for Jade Cargill to come in? See, I feel like it is, but it's it's a very weird vehicle for entry. Yeah. Very true. Because in my in my head, you just you just whatever the result of the of the women's triple threat is, you just have her appear afterwards. I think that's the one yeah. they should go with, honestly, because I know a lot of people have been wanting Jade to be part of Lashley and the Street Profits. What we do know for certain is that Jade is in Indianapolis, Indiana, where Fastlane is taking place. So it is more or less likely that Jade will be uh, will be debuting uh, tonight, actually, as this recording. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's probably going to be the most likely one. For this one, I reckon they're probably going to go for Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. That's what I think. Solidify yeah. them as the heel force of SmackDown for sure. Yeah, I think it, it's them unless Carlito appears. Then it's gonna be the Latino World Order. Who knows? It could be Bad Bunny. It could be Savio Vega. It could be Dragon Lee. Basically, Rey Mysterio has options when he said he was gonna call someone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, it would surprise me if he picked someone. <laughs> why did like why did Giovanni Vinci come to mind? When I was thinking <laughs> that would be so. You, you'll get you you'll get you're getting your Mediterranean mixed up. Yes, I was going <laughs> to say yeah. <laughs> so out of no out of left field. Anyway, uh, as we know, this might be the main event, but this is the fifth match that was announced. For the tag titles, the undisputed tag titles, it's Judgment Day as champions going up against Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso. Um, Judgment stays. Judgment Day still I get mixed up with because the opening bit of their song reminds me of Chuck Palumbo's biker gimmick song. Hell for some yeah! Reason. You will remember me. <laughs> no, um, Judgment Day retain. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they have to do at this point, right? Jey Uso rumored to be joining Judgment Day, though I I don't know if I can see that to be quite honest. Unless I, if if he if he does, I have I don't get it. <laughs> but unless maybe I guess maybe, Jey Uso, maybe 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 I'm not watching the product enough. Uh, unless unless Jey Uso wins over Rhea Ripley and and and, 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 and Jey Uso and Rhea Ripley. No, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I do not want this Jay Uso Jimmy Butler. <laughs> okay. 
no, I think it's Judgment Day retaining. Um, uh, it's a real shame, actually, that Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have seemingly just gone off the face of the earth since losing the yeah. tag titles, which annoys the heck out of me. But hey, what you gonna do? Um, that's what we've had announced so far. Don't know if there's going to be any more matches announced. I guess we'll find out come Monday when this is already out of date. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, apart from that, that's pretty much what we got for Fastlane so far that was announced. Um, over to AEW for a little bit. Um, uh, Edge's debut promo. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Adam Copeland. <clears throat> I apologize. <laughs> the rated R superstar Adam Copeland. Which, which by is... the way, is a hell of a flex considering that WWE didn't renew the license for rated R superstar. What, what I, what I, what I yeah. love about it was that, like, just apparent, apparently WWE's never had, didn't have the rights for Metalingus for ages. Yeah, that was really surprising. I mean, they did change it a little bit, but instead of, <clears throat> yeah, but yeah. Instead of it going like, you you think you know me? It's you think you know me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, that's literally it. It's the but I, I, when, when, I, when, I, when yeah. I saw that that they hadn't like held on to the rights for like four years or something, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yes, they, I, I think they was. I think it was literally they were so complacent that 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 Edge was gonna be there forever. It's entirely possible. <laughs> like I think, I think they literally were just like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot. Still of though, crazy, lot. crazy, crazy to see. Crazy yeah. to see. A lot of people are upset, <laughs> feel betrayed about Adam going to which I say. Yeah, but that's guys, that's because that's because down. people online are weird. People yeah, online like... are really weird. Like, guys, calm down. It's like WWE and Adam were like, I think we've gone as far as we possibly could. When Adam said, I've still got a little bit more gas left in the tank. Why not? Have some, have a couple of things where I can, like a couple of matchups I've never had before and see where I go from there. He's said for certain that he's going to end his full-time career in AEW. Um, yep. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can produce. As far as I'm aware from what I, what's been heard backstage... His presence has already been met with overwhelming praise and positivity. Apparently, he's a breath of fresh air, and a lot of people are looking forward to working with him and picking his brain, which sounds weird considering that there was a certain person there as well that was meant, that was meant to do the same thing and yeah, is now it, gone. You know, you know when like Adam Copeland came in and everything, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 this is going to be nice. You know, like, you're going to do it. I don't, I don't want you around too, too long, but, you know, it's going to be nice. And then he said, like, you know, there are matches that, like, I've never had. Can, we, can you imagine, like, Adam Copeland versus John Moxley? And I, brain, and I just went, ooh, ooh, okay. <laughs> yes. I, I, I literally had a little bit of a tingle. I was like, okay. All Adam right, versus can... Kenny. It was like, oh, 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 oh. oh, oh. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right. I see you, Adam. Don't don't talk too dirty to me. All right. Uh, his opening promo on Dynamite this week was great. The the yep. whole kind of uh, him trying to kind of get on Christian Cage, like, trying to win Christian Cage over by saying, "Hey, look, we haven't got much left, long left. Why not we just let's team up together one more time?" The reunion took my farewell of Edge and Christian, and Christian goes to hug him after all that said. And the three words that stuck with everyone as Christian Cage was hugging Adam. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Goes incredibly hard. 
Yeah, like, like, I... I I love in stories, like, Christian knows they're both now at that point where they're having to say farewell, but Christian just won't accept it. No, I, I liked it for a lot of reasons. One, because I could really see, like, Christian wanting to corpse... And say, yeah. yeah, let's do it. Screw it. Screw screw all of this work. I could really see him going like, God, I wish I could do that. I could actually really see it on his face. Yeah. And also, I really like the go fuck yourself because it's like <laughs> because I, I, I really I really took it into why so I can be why so I can play I could be Garfunkel again. Nah, 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 nah. we ain't doing this. <laughs> What I love about it is that it's Christian's timing is so good. Yeah. So damn good. Oh, it was great. It was great. I really enjoy it. I feel like the full circle was well of the Christian of the new of the new Christian coalition. Uh forming mm-hmm. an AEW with with Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne is like I'm looking forward to this. Turtleneck Christian Cage has been one of the best things that has ever Straight happened. Straight up doing the Straight up, so, the best, some of the best work actually possibly in wrestling right now. Yeah, yeah. We got the, we got the, we have the concept of Nick Wayne turning heel on his mum. <laughs> like, like that's every, unreal. That's every eighteen-year-old though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm looking forward to being uh, to, to it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see Adam going out, branching out doing his thing, looking forward to some of the matchups that are going to inevitably happen. Uh, guys, don't be mad. Like, serious. Like, at this point, it's like, let's let's be grateful now that we're in this sort of era where we now can have all of this wrestling happen. Guys, like... I'm, I'm just like, guys, we're gonna be getting Edge versus Christian. They're gonna finish the story. What? What? What's the problem? Yeah, exactly. like, the, problem, like, the, the, like... the problem is is people is people taking a situation and then just like straight up just blowing it out like yeah. nineteen billion ways that just because <laughs> there's an even more obvious one because because there's all that stuff about ratings and all the stuff and it's like oh Edge is in the match against whoever hmm. and then they're like oh but like meanwhile. WWE doing this, and I'm like, just stop talking. <laughs> oh my god, it's 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 silly. Just enjoy the fact that we're, just enjoy the fact that we're at this moment where we have all this wrestling, and wrestling is in a is in a really good spot at the moment. All right, guys. Granted, it's nowhere near the num generating the numbers of the Attitude Era, but is it really ever going to reach that number again? No. Like, TV at this point, there is no TV product that's ever going to reach those silly numbers ever again. But the fact we've got all this wrestling, something we have not had in such a long time. Guys, just be grateful for crying out loud. (laughs) There. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Is that it with the news, Dan? Yes. Cool. Recommendation corner. Rhythm, what have you got for us this week? Okay, so it is Black History Month. So I will once again, because I think I've done it before, but I'll do it again. I will once again be recommending Attack the Block to celebrate Black History Month. You're damn right. As Incredible movie. Incredible movie. British classic. Go watch it. <laughs> 
I will also be recommending something that is not a part of Black History Month, but is really good. Uh, I will be recommending Dan Olson's This Is Financial Advice, <laughs> talking about talking about the rise and fall and the weird cult of GameStock. <laughs> it is really good and is and actually kind of put me in a bit of cold sweats because I realized that this is one of the few kind of internet scams that I think I could have gone in easily gotten into. Mm. Like I could have fallen into this trap. So very sobering, but really good. So yes, please check that out. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Alright then fellas. With that, it is time to get on to my little profile slash retrospective on Jacqueline. So, fellas, what is the first thought in your mind when it comes to Jacqueline, aka Jackie, aka Miss Jackie, Jackie Mo? We'll go, we'll go with Jackie. What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Jackie? Woman works stiff as fuck. <laughs> you damn. Just Jesus Christ. It won't come as much of a surprise when I go over the early career of Jackie uh, Reed and where that comes from. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think of a workhorse. Yes. Yes. Uh, and B... I don't even... How, 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 would I, how would I freeze this? How would I freeze this? Um... Do you know what I mean when I say not like ahead of her time, but like slightly out of place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's less it's less wrestling in the wrong era. I think it's the it's the better yes the better term for yes. it. Yeah, for me, completely underappreciated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, I'll... somewhat forgotten. Not like in like the. No one knows who Jacqueline is, but so, left out of the conversation, if you will. So much. Yeah. So, so much. Um, dang, we'll get into why I feel that she's underappreciated, and we'll get into the wrong era as well, I feel, as we get through this. So, as always, let us start right at the beginning. Born in January in 1964, Jacqueline Moore grew up in the te- uh, grew up around Dallas, Texas area. Mostly becoming a huge fan of wrestling thanks to the Von Erich family over at World Class Championship Wrestling, especially from the syndication of, uh, of of Memphis Wrestling over there as well in Texas. She got a real big interest in the world of professional wrestling from quite an early age. Actually, before pri- I believe it might have been prior or during her career when she got started in pro wrestling, she took up another combat sport. She ended up becoming a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Oh hell yeah. That's oh god. As well oh, as no. taking up boxing and uh kickboxing as well uh in her spare time. So in terms of her striking game, she absolutely knows her stuff. <laughs> but it So was... so she decided to just become dangerous from the jump, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, God. 
So ended up ended up with a chance meeting at a local gym in Dallas where she got to meet the manager known as Skandar Akbar, which roughly translates to Alexander the Great. Uh, most notable and famous for his work in Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation and for a stint at uh, World Class Championship Wrestling. So he took her under his wing began training her in early 1988. From the get-go, she was seen as a person who kind of took to it like a duck to water and made her debut at World Class Championship Wrestling in 1988 under the name of Sweet Georgia Brown. Now, earliest match that I can gather from the Cage Match database has her first match at the Sportatorium in Dallas, in Dallas, uh, taking on the Blue Angel in a uh, debut defeat. And she would go on to have a couple of matches, uh, a mixed tag match, uh, teaming up with Tony Falk. No, not Columbo. Uh, and eventually having a couple of house show uh, events, uh, crossover events with World Class and the USWA, um, taking on the Naughty Natalie. Don't know who Naughty Natalie is. Unfortunately, doesn't have a cage match profile. But it was from this that she quickly ended up getting um, in to Atsushio Nita's Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Now that's unfathomably based. What in the hell is that? So, so you're saying that like three months after starting, just straight to FMW? Yeah. Um, taking on and teaming with Megumi Kudo. Taking on Combat Toyota. Basically, the who's who of FMW. I was going to say, that so that, that's that's someone that's three months, basically three months into wrestling, just being put in with, like, the top stars of a company. Yeah, having matches. <sighs> and, with... like, at this point, a, a very well-known company within Japan. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we've gone over Onita on a number of occasions. We have, and he is, in fact, one of the people of all time. Yes, he absolutely <laughs> Certainly is. I feel like we have. It's been long overdue for an Onita episode, so we'll definitely try and see if we'll do now next year. But yeah, pretty much was getting buzz very quickly to the point where a few months in, she's already making tours in Japan for FMW, and she'd end up eventually coming when coming back from that first tour, she would end up making well, uh, the USWA over in Memphis, her her permanent home. Not before as well having stints in Ladies Professional Wrestling Association and Women's Pro Wrestling. So in 1991, she would move to Memphis and begin working more regularly for the USWA, being billed this time as Miss Texas. She was predominantly making her debut in her early start as a heel valet to the tag team of Eric Embry and Dr. Tom Pritchard. Uh, this was during a time where they were there was this fierce rivalry with Texas wrestlers versus Tennessee wrestlers. And, um, well, at the start, as I said, she was working as a heel valet. Eventually, she would be put into matches involving, uh, involving the Tennessee uh, contingent, uh, facing in a feud with, I hate saying this, but it is true, the dirty white girl, Kim Anthony. Um... That is, in fact, again, one of the gimmicks of all time. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately so. Um, well, unfortunately, these matches weren't taken too seriously, as we had a mud pit match, a boxing match, um, and a hair versus hair match, where none of these matches 
were ever taken seriously um, at this point. Um, she's a third-level Jack. She's a third-level black belt for fuck's sake. Um, My God! In the hair versus hair match, actually, which I believe was the blow-off match to this rivalry, uh, Jackie lost and actually did have her, all of her hair shaved off. That's crazy. But wow. in a weird turnaround of, a, of of kind of fortunes, I guess, say, from a really bad start of her career in 91, it does pick back up in 1992. Finally, she's able to sink her teeth into actually having really, like, serious matches. Going back here and there to become Sweet Georgia Brown on a couple of occasions, but Miss Texas mostly on television. And... In this time, in 1992, a new title was uh, was being was being made, the USWA Women's Championship. In a tournament, she ended up becoming the inaugural champion in March of 1992. And through that, in her time there, from 92 to 96, Jackie would hold that title a total of eight times, going up against established names of women in in the division known as uh, De uh debbie coombs lauren davenport and of course the late great luna Vachon. nice and would you believe in 93 as she's making waves becoming women's champion and really now being more serious as a contender and putting on much better matches she was the first female to be included in the pwi top 500 and that's wow. the thing right like this that's that's crazy in timeline it's nuts yeah yeah because she's only been wrestling for what a few years at this point yes and she's the first woman in the 500 just a straight up prodigy yeah absolutely absolutely those who got it got it <laughs> gonna take a little little detour from the uswa to talk about this weird this weird little period of time in 93 to 95 where jackie being so good at what she does and making waves that she ends up engaging the interest of the wwf now mostly this was in part to the the fed's partnership with the uswa at the time of course yeah owned by jerry jarrett and jerry lawler and Jerry was, of course, one of the commentators for Monday Night Raw at this point. With Jacqueline being so um, kind of at this time, teaming with Jeff Jarrett at this time and developing kind of like a partnership with him at this point, it was uh, Jacqueline was scheduled and actually did sign a contract with WWF in 1993. She was scheduled to debut for the company under the name of Winona as a valet slash manager for Double J, Jeff Jarrett. She, she even got to the point where she had filmed vignettes with Jarrett as kind of like, what's the what's the best, uh, best? She was kind of like a manager slash kind yeah. of like valet, like the, the, like the, um, the music producer slash manager for Jeff Jarrett's uh, music career. But, yeah, the tour manager. <laughs> but an injury cut that short and unfortunately she never got to debut and uh, left the company because of that injury. She also actually, the only uh, like full-on appearance of Jackie at that time for the WWF was an article for the, for the February 94 WWF magazine. After that, though, she ended up going to Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1995 under the name of Sergeant Rock, 
who was uh, and was part of Jim Cornette's militia. I kid you, I'm not, I'm not shitting you. Jim I feel Cornette like every time, <laughs> every time I see Smoky Mountain Wrestling in a wrestler's biography, I just feel like I should like it's either going to be hell or it's going to be like secretly brilliant. Yeah, there is no in between with Smoky Mountain. It really isn't. Uh, so who was part of who was part of Jim Cornette's militia? The team included Tommy Rich, Robert Gibson, The Punisher, and Terry Gordy. Now The Punisher ended up, of course, becoming not Test, uh, Ball Buchanan. That is, in fact, a <laughs> what, what a group of people. What in the hell? Now here's the I, don't want to, I don't even want to use the bit again. Yeah, like it's it, it's just such a weird group of people <laughs> now jackie's tenure in smoky mountain did not last long as a matter of fact when she she debuted in october of 95 and left in november oh my god that's impressive she was like i'm getting out of here quick <laughs> her only matches of note in smoky mountain was a We're against a ninja turtle <laughs> no was uh was again was a, a an intergender match against ron davis and then would end up having a stint of Thanksgiving matches against the Wolfman. Smoky Mountain Wrestling being surprisingly progressive. Yeah. <laughs> and so she would end up going back to Memphis or, and to the USWA. During this time, actually, she had not dropped. I think the women's title had been vacated, but she had won it back and would end up re-engaging in a feud with Debbie Coombs once more. And eventually that would go on to form a rivalry with Lady Satan, who most people may know here and there as Princess D or Debbie Dahl in the Nashville, in the Memphis uh, scene. She would end up also having a 30-minute Iron Man match where she... <laughs> Sorry. Where she teamed with PG-13... Randy Hales and Tex Slazinger to defeat the team of Brandon Baxter, the real Double J, Jesse James, Coco Beware, Susan Sapphire, and Tracy Smothers. You just said names. <laughs> Fuck you. That, no goddamn way. The, the, here's the thing, right? That match sounds like it was booked on crack, and it probably was. Oh, it absolutely but, was. But, like... Uh, what leads to that point? That's yeah. like a what a six-man tag oh, oh, Iron Man match. This is Memphis. No, I know it's Memphis, but that doesn't qualify this. Guys, if you've if I've told you anything about Memphis and the Memphis wrestling scene, it's batshit insane. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm 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 sorry, Mr. Sam. <laughs> you cannot tell me that a like six or like eight person Iron Man match is in any way justifiable. <laughs> Not even when there's Jackie in the match and Tracy. Smothers. That's just that's just you know what I'm just deep I'm just deeping this thing like that's just a shit of war games. <laughs> and of course, the greatest man to ever come out of Memphis Championship Wrestling and, and the Memphis scene, Coco Beware. Hey, look, right, Coco Beware's unreal. I won't have Coco Beware slander. <laughs> no, I'm not saying... I mean, I'm saying, like, the man made a career... Oh, no, 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 no that's, that's, scene. That's, for, that's for the audience, right? <laughs> <laughs> I won't take Coco Beware slander from the audience. I... I... I feel cursed with this knowledge. 
<laughs> I feel like this is something people shouldn't know about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, so, around 95, 96 times, she's still wrestling for the USWA, still going by the name sometimes <laughs> outside of the USWA as Sweet Georgia Brown. She ends up even making an appearance in the women's division for Herb Abrams UWF. Oh, oh no. Jesus Christ. Going oh, so far no. as to win the women's championship for them. Yeah, but what does that really mean, though? <laughs> Not much when the, the title gets flip-flopped so many times because it's Herb Abrams. No, I was going to say, not much when it has Herb Abrams involved. <laughs> I have also found a penny on the street recently. <laughs> oh, gosh. And eventually she would end up, from her time in USWA, still holding on to the title, the Women's Championship. And in her last little um, run with the USWA, ends up having a hellacious rivalry with Luna Vachon. As a matter of fact, she ends up having a great street fight with Luna Vachon at one point in 96, which then leads to a first blood match, which I have not found, but I have seen images here and there on the internet of this first blood match. And boy, God! Like, I was going to say, that sounds, that sounds like it's cooking. It's cooking. Uh, Jackie loses the match, but she gushes. <laughs> and it's fucking awesome <laughs> this leads as well to a mixed tag match where luna and the vampire warrior aka gangrel takes on the team of miss texas and brickhouse brown unfortunately no that is not brad bad news brown <laughs> no it is not uh but apparently that was a little great match as well eventually though from all of this she would end up gauging the interest of eric bischoff and World Championship Wrestling. From that, actually, she ended up submitting 8x10s of her to a, to, uh, to Turner Broadcasting, to, type, uh, to the CNN Tower over in Atlanta, Georgia, and was eventually, from that, engaging interest from the, uh, from the Memphis scene, was able to gauge and get a contract through J.J. Dillon. Oh, wow. She eventually, wow. she debuted in 1997 as the manager of Kevin Sullivan, uh, beginning her career with Sullivan. She also aided uh, Sullivan in the feud with Chris Pinoir, uh, which, of course, oh, was no. the was the feud where <clears throat> Sullivan's wife, Nancy, ends up in a storyline affair with Chris, oh. but then that ends up being a real-life thing. And, of course, I don't want to go over that. Nah, just, yeah. Uh, Eventually, though, that that alliance with Kevin Sullivan ends at Bash of the Beach 97, where she smashes a wooden chair over Sullivan's head, causing him to lose the loser-must-retire match. At Road Wild, she becomes the manager of Harlem Heat. Oh, wow. Well. And so she goes, and that basically ends up being the rest of her career, becoming the manager of Harlem Heat. Of course, that goes into Harlem Heat 2000. Uh, mm -hmm. where Booker loses the T in his name and is given to Ahmed Johnson, who becomes Big T. Um, her, own, her only matches that she had uh, in the ring at that time were two matches. It was an intergender match at Halloween Havoc 97, where she defeated Disco Inferno. Okay. And in a losing effort for the television championship, where Disco Inferno finally got his loss back from Jacqueline. What a... Okay. 
So from this, from this, and from her appearances in WCW, eventually leaving, she gets interest from the WWF, who re-sign her to a new contract, debuting in mid-1998 on a June episode of Raw as the new on-screen girlfriend to Marvelous Mark Mero, who at the time was in the gimmick of being incredibly jealous of Sable's um, uh, skyrocketing popularity with the fans. I hate to say her debut match, or her debut appearance, I guess you could say at a pay-per-view, was the was the bikini contest with Sable at fully. See, and this, but this was the thing though. This was just that was just WWF at the time, always doing this whole thing. Yes, yes. Uh, Jackie won that match actually on a technicality. <laughs> if you wanted to know, um, uh, this would lead to one of her very first in-ring com- uh, contests being teaming up with Mark Miro to take on the team of Sable and the newly debuting Edge at SummerSlam. Interesting. Um, it, is, it is an interesting parallel with yeah. some of the names that are coming across this. It really, it really, really is. In September of 98, uh, WWF would finally revive the Women's Championship, which was notoriously known for being revived purely for Sable to hold. Um, oh. Though, though it did start out with Jackie actually winning the title, defeating Sable to become the very first brand new women's champion and becoming the first African-American women's champion. Two months later, though, Sable would fulfill, I guess, would finish the story and fulfill her destiny to become the brand new women's champion as well. Uh, this would see Jackie Moore eventually leaving that whole storyline behind her and eventually going into, oh, gosh, an even worse storyline, if you could believe it or not. She would align, oh, her- I can. She oh, would align okay. herself with Terry Runnels and Ryan Shamrock to become the group known as PMS, the Pretty Mean Sisters. Um, now, wow. Ryan Ryan Shamrock is a weird one in the middle of this. Yeah, it really, really is. I mean, Ryan at this time was right. She came in as the kayfabe sister of Ken Shamrock, eventually aligning herself with Val Venus and then <laughs> Goldust, and basically, Pretty Mean Sisters formed to kind of make Goldust and Mark Mero's life a living hell. It's uh, just so weird. Like they would then form like. They originally formed alliance with the two remaining members of the nation, being D'Lo and Mark Henry, which would evolve then into a rivalry with D'Lo Brown because... Fucking hell, do I have to talk about this storyline? Right, so Terry Runnels was kayfabe pregnant. (laughs) That's a crazy opening line, but continue. (laughs) And she was knocked off the ring by D'Lo Brown when she was trying to cause a distraction. Hence and they causing played, they played in, they played this off because they had EMTs, they had officials, they had referees come to her aid, and Terry wow. was supposedly suffered. This is Vince Russo, by the way, who was right. Like, this. just just yeah. think, just think <laughs> about 
this yeah. being put on national television in a wrestling show. Yeah, that, that this is an angle. Like this is like ca- oh. casualty or or like ER. This is not. So it turned out as well, that all happens. And basically from that, D'Lo is now at the beck and call of Terry, Jacqueline and Ryan. Turns out, though, that Terry was faking it. Had She hadn't been pregnant the entire time. And this causes D'Lo to finally kind of get the upper hand and tell them to, to go away. And finally, with all of that in- ending, Jackie returned to the women's division and finally started having proper matches. She took on, um, she had a four-way match on the April episode of Raw, taking on Ivory Tory and then champion Sable for the women's championship. It was declared a no contest after Sick- uh, Sable's uh, bodyguard, Nicole Bass, stormed the ring and chokeslammed all three competitors. God, that's a name I haven't heard in forever. Um, of course, the Pretty Mean Sisters would sort of reform after they ended up having meat. Uh, Sean Stasiak <laughs> become part of their thing. Uh, WCW. <laughs> uh, do you remember the whole thing? Basically, meat was a love slave. Uh, the story goes is that he was forced to have sex with them and wear uh, wife front tights. Um, this it's, is Vince. It's, this is um, it, 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 It's 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 literally the the death by snoo snoo in wrestling. Yes, but infinitely more confusing and without the elements of Futurama that make you be okay with that in that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Can I just go back? Can I just fast forward to two thousand and something actually kind of finally good? Okay, uh, so, sure. what, so what was the Women's Championship happening at this time? Sable leaves WWE in a whole mire of controversy, which sees her and Mark Mero sue the WWF for $100 million. That was settled out of court. Uh, Sable loses the title in a bikini contest to Deborah, to which Deborah then loses the championship to Harvey Whippleman. Yeah, so... So this is the time when Miss Kitty also had the title at this time and, the, and a rivalry between Harvey and Miss Kitty happens. Post... Oh, 90s through 2000s women's wrestling guys in the WWE. Are we having a fun time? Yes. Wow, this is... Take this story has taken a fucking turn. I'm not even gonna lie. This is what this is the thing. This is what sucks. We have this incredibly talented wrestler in Jackie, and she's being forced into. Yes, but what if? And hear me, hear me out in this, right? We don't use her for wrestling. Now, just hear me out. Because basically, I was I bring this up because Jacqueline on a 2000 episode, February 2000 episode of SmackDown, wins the Women's Championship for a second time after defeating Harvey Whippleman in a Lumberjill Snow Bunny match, which took... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? Don't you dare skip over that. I'm what? Not, no, I'm going to explain. A Lumberjill Snow Bunny match is a match that takes place in a pool filled with fake snow and surrounded by female wrestlers whose purpose no. <laughs> was to keep, I believe, 
um, I believe was to keep them out in from leaving the pool. Um, I, I'm sorry. That is the maddest sentence I have ever, quite possibly, I've ever heard. This unlocked a memory because I actually watched this as it happened. Oh my god! He, uh, he unlocked an awful memory, and I was like, "Yeah, I remember this match sucking as a kid." I, I, I. Unfortunately, I'm I'm amazed by this ex- by this thing's existence. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. That 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 might be the most insane response my brain has had to a sentence in wrestling and i've heard a lot of weird sentences in wrestling (laughs) um it does get good though she does end up having a brief feud with luna vachon at this time uh where she successfully defends her title but it did not last long because unfortunately in march she would end up losing the title to stephanie mcmahon following Huge interference from DX at this time. And we're talking, this is peak McMahon-Helmsley regime stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so Jackie loses the title to Stephanie. And Stephanie keeps that title for several months. Oh, yeah, she holds on to that. Not defending it at all as well. So that's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So this is the time where Jackie actually starts getting some really decent matches actually. So she ends up having a barn burner of matches with Lita through August and September of 2000. One also actually being a hardcore match which actually slaps. It's really cool stuff that those two were, were coming out with, mostly because those two were wrestlers and were actually having wrestling matches. She ends up actually um, competing against Dean Malenko for the light heavyweight championship as well. Which again so, is a weird prospect because a people forget the light heavyweight title even existed in the first place her having a match against dean malenko who by this point was like pulling his own weight purely on his skills alone oh yeah this of course was also um double o ho dean malenko where he had that james bond style theme yeah, ladies man. You know the one that had like uh, Ma- well-known Ma- ladies man Dean Malenko, <laughs> like maleficent, <laughs> um, uh, mal amazing Malenko luring, uh, Malenko titties. I don't know whatever the fuck. <laughs> like Malenko, I eat pussy. I, I don't know. It was those weird ones of the Titantron. Anyway, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that during a recording. <laughs> anyway, um, Jacqueline ends up becoming part of the um, kind of spending the rest of 2000 as one of the head trainers for the very first season of Tough Enough alongside Al Snow, Taz and Tori. Now, the reason I bring up Tough Enough a little bit is because Maven Huffman's been absolutely killing it in the YouTube game recently. Yeah. And it's now reached 100,000 subscribers since starting out this year. So, Maven's cooking. He's cooking. Maven's absolutely maybe this was Maybe this was his calling the whole time. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Anyway, take a bump, kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good snap. Flat back. <laughs> Flat back. And so through 2001 to 2004... She ends up being on the like the outer fringes of the women's championship scene. Um, she, oh, of course, which was being taken over by three women: Trish, Jazz, and Victoria. 
She was in the outer fringes of this at the time, being part of multi-man matches for the Women's Championship, having occasional matches here and there for the Championship, and eventually having, like, like becoming special guest referees for, um, for matches with Jazz and Trish at the Royal Rumble. Uh, when the feud with Victoria and Trish kicked in, she, of course, was around that time challenging both of them for number one contendership matches, the title matches. She was around the time being known as an adept hand for the Divas division and was a very solid hand at that. And, of course, this was around the time where the women's uh, the women slash Divas division wasn't being taken really all that seriously. They and just kind so, of existed. And so who did they get in to become the head guy to book the matches and help put these matches together? Dave Michael Finley. PSAs. No, Dave <laughs> Finlay. Finlay was the guy that was basically <clears throat> was given this and went, you know what? This division's not taken seriously. So you know what I'm going to do for these ladies? I'm going to train them up. I'm going to make them have these barnstormer matches and I'm going to make them have matches like I have where I kick lumps out of each other and you see it with these matches with Trish and Jazz and Victoria and Jacqueline these ladies are absolute oh and Lita of course yeah. these ladies are having absolute barnstormer matches for the little time they are given and almost credit where credit's due to Dave Finley for giving all the he was trying his hardest he was up against, like, a huge landslide, but he made it work because Dave Finley managed to make them be taken seriously. He was the reason why Lita and Trish managed to get a main event on Raw for the Women's Championship. So, I will say Dave Finley, unsung hero of the women's division. At Absolutely. Um, in 2004, she appeared more seldom around that time, eventually appearing on SmackDown in 2004, where then Cruiserweight champion Chavo Guerrero issued an open challenge for anyone to face him for his title. Who should answer the call but Jacqueline? And Jacqueline beat Chavo in convincing fashion, becoming the very first female uh, and African-American WWE Cruiserweight Champion. I say WWE. Crazy sentence. (laughs) What the hell? I say WWE because I believe Medusa was the very first Cruiserweight Champion, female Cruiserweight Champion in WCW. That is correct. I see. So eventually she would lose the championship back to Chavo in Judgment Day in a match where one of Chavo's arms was tied behind his back. I can't understand the reasoning behind that. I think you could have had a solid match without that stipulation. I think that's a bit yeah, but then as well. Oh, it absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely is. And shortly after that rivalry, after Creative Team basically t- was told told her that they had nothing for her, she requested her release and was granted her release in June of two thousand and four. She would have a couple of independent bookings here and there around 2005, but she would eventually debut for TNA, Total Non-Stop Action Wrestling, in 2004 in November, but debuting at Victory Road, losing in a singles match to Trinity. By the way, shout-outs to Trinity for being freaking so awesome. She ended, she's ended, I believe she ended up becoming a stunt woman, but she was 
she was so good. <laughs> yeah. Like, she yeah, had yeah. such a good, uh, like, moonsault. And I went back to watch this match. And, yeah, th- this was cooking. This was cooking. That would be her. That would be her first appearance. But she would return back in two thousand and seven, becoming the manager for James Storm. God, yeah, that was a thing that happened, wasn't it? And she, be- and she becomes the manager for the newly formed tag team of James Storm and Robert Roode, Beer Money Inc. I forgot about. This. Oh my God! Wait, what? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, I, 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 <laughs> you've, you've like opened up a section of my brain. I, I love this run for for Miss Jackie, honestly, because it's because like... it was it was where they had the uh, they used to have the 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 jackets. Yes, and the cowboy hat. Yeah, um, love this. I said love this run because it's it was almost as if like it fit perfectly. Like James Storm and Jackie fit perfectly. <laughs> Yeah. Now this is the time where, of course, a-, a America's Most Wanted, when she debuted, where it returned in two thousand seven, where America's Most Wanted had disbanded, and so Chris Harris teams up with Gail Kim, who was the manager for America's Most Wanted, to take mm-hmm. on Jackie and James Storm. Now this is a time, of course, a time where Gail Kim and Jackie were having barnstorming matches as well. Yeah, this is like the they were um... cooking in the knockouts division. The uh, yeah, I was gonna say like where the the knockouts were starting to become more established, and we had uh, like the talents of talent pool in two thousand and seven. We <clears> have <throat> Gal Kim, uh, Jackie, uh, Miss Brooks. We had uh, Roxy LaFoe, Taylor Wilde, ODB, the beautiful people. Yeah, like the knockouts division was at that time was absolutely like fucking. The, again, best. as I as awesome I would say, the, no, the knockout, well. the knockout, the knockouts division was <laughs> just like sh- by all factors probably shouldn't have existed. Of course, yeah, of course that, of course the two like main tent poles of the knockouts division at that time, of course, Gal Kim and Awesome Kong. Ah, oh, like awesome like Kong. by like by all means probably shouldn't have existed, but it did, and the knockouts division is. A was awesome. B still continues to be pretty damn awesome. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's like the one of the best parts of Impact as we as you know at right God, now. Imagine so. being imagine being there in two thousand seven and having Jacqueline, Gail, Kim, and Awesome Corner Jesus roster. Christ! Yeah. <laughs> like My I would, I, you would kill for that sort of roster of women uh, of women on your uh, on your books. Man. Especially when you think about in when you think about in concept. Mm. Like they had a lot more, they had a lot more time for them. Yeah. So the, what a, a great little moment here, of course, of a pocket of time for TNA with Jackie being like the main driving force for Beer Money Inc. Her having barnstorm matches with a stacked knockouts division, but unfortunately during this time, the, give it maybe the booking decisions or the fact that of course. The frontline and main event mafia storyline was such like front and center in two thousand and nine. The knockouts division wasn't getting more, wasn't getting much of um, much as much recognition as it should have. Um, yeah, it was kind of starting to get pushed off to the side because they were going all in on like main event mafia, and then there was like the 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 slow moving things of like the nostalgia acts and stuff exactly exactly so come mid 2009 
with all of that, with all of those factors being put together as uh, as well, um, she ends up parting ways with TNA in July. Um, it was, I think, the last match she would end up would be on a house show where she took on Rucker Khan. Do you remember Rucker Khan? Oh my the, god, like, Rucker the, Khan. The, the, I guess you could call, the best way to describe Rucker Khan was, I guess, an Amazonian, basically. Yeah, she, I, I believe she did end up playing basketball, like college basketball. So that explains, like, she was six two. Yes, six foot two, ginormous Amazonian woman, and uh, teamed aligned with Awesome Kong and uh, Raisha Saeed. Oh, if, uh, who still makes me laugh is like Raisha Saeed is cheerleader Melissa, and that's still like still kind well, of yeah. that. God, I remember Raisha Saeed. She came back a couple of months ago, cheerleader Melissa, as Raisha Saeed. What were you saying about... Um, the thousand episodes of Impact, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing you say about Rucker Khan, I'm like... T TNA did not know what what damage they could have afforded yet. I feel like Rucker Khan's greatest it's contribution, the... though, was being in the background of the Steiner Math promo. <laughs> This is true. Um, it's the uh, the uh, you're not ready for this, but your kids will love it. <laughs> yes, yes. So she would she would um, return in 2011 to TNA, teaming with ODB. Uh, basically, their basically their kind of like um, mission statement was that they were going to clean up the knockouts division. Uh, oh, I remember them, that. Uh, both of them were being billed at that time as well as not being under contract with TNA. Eventually, kind of, they would end up taking out Velvet Sky, Brooke Tessmarker, uh, Angelina Love. They would end up attacking uh, Mickey James, uh, Tracy Brooks. Basically, they kind of were, dare I say, were the nexus of the knockout. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, though, they would uh, work. It, they would end up with all of this. They would end up changing their attitudes, abandoning that uh, that. Um, that uh, kind of like motivation to become, uh, to become uh, eventually baby faces. Eventually, with the, getting contracts, several weeks of that, they ended up signing contracts with the head uh, of the knockouts division. Uh, I was going to say, do you remember in twenty eleven who was the uh, who was the chief head of the knockouts division, Dan? Uh, twenty eleven TNA. It's. Not I feel like it was someone. I feel like it was someone really random. It wasn't Brooke Hogan. That would be twenty first. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know that oh, was God. late. I know that was later. Um, because wasn't there a thing with it? Was was this the storyline with Brooke Tessmarker, where she was like a secretary? Yes. Who? Oh God. I don't even remember. Um. Honestly. Um. Oh, I can. I can picture it's, it. It's so obvious who it might be. It's TNA. Who who was the founder of TNA? Is it Dixie Carter? No, no, no. Whoa. It wasn't Jeff. No, who? who but you're getting Eric warm. Bischoff. No, you're getting warm with Jeff. It is a woman as well. God, Karen Jarrett. Yeah, yeah, it's Karen Jarrett. <laughs> Oh my god! I I I don't remember. I don't remember that. I remember. I remember the storyline with because she was was it Miss Testmarker? Miss Testmarker at that time, correct? Yeah, she used to go around to like the ring with a clipboard. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember Karen Jarrett being involved in that at all. <laughs> 
So, after kind of several weeks after she had, uh, on storyline, gotten a contract with uh, with TNA, um, she would not make any more appearances before announcing in November of 2011 that her contract had expired. Apparently, it was a short-term contract. And, uh, and basically, kind of, she kind of did everything that she could with a storyline that she wasn't too thrilled or pleased about, honestly. Uh, but she would make her final appearance around TNA in 2013. She would make a surprise appearance during their one night only pay per views, which was basically um, oh yeah, one night only would be special like TNA impacts basically. Um, she would make her return in the knockouts knockdown one night only, turning heel by taking on and trash talking Taryn Terrell whilst defeating her to advance to the Gauntlet Battle Royal, which, which where Jackie would fully cement her heel turn by attacking her former partner, ODB. She wouldn't win the Gauntlet Battle Royale, eventually being eliminated by ODB. And two days later, on an Impact Wrestling taping, she would face off in her last match for TNA against ODB at Hardcore justice in a hardcore match losing to odb that match by the way is i believe free on in on tna impacts or impacts youtube channel yeah. great match honestly kind of low-key slaps that match oh that's crazy and so i was i was worried in this time frame <laughs> no yeah. no no like odb and, like jacqueline still had gas in the tank that's damn oh, okay that's fine and so did ODB. So it was a it was it was a good match, no doubt about it. For me, anyway, I thought it was not a bad match. I mean, there were worse matches going on in TNA. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this brings us to a little blip in time, but eventually returning to WWE in 2016, where it was announced that Jackie would finally be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. She was inducted by the Dudley Boys, <laughs> funnily enough. That's just... a funny one to induct her. But when you think about it, TNA time, Team 3D, Jackie, Beer sure. Money. No, that's fair. That goes, yeah, that's fair, actually. And finally getting her plaudit, and she became the very first black woman to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Which, again, absolute crazy sentence yeah she made an appearance in 2018 in the 25th anniversary of raw um alongside the bellas maurice kelly kelly lillian garcia tori wilson michelle mccall maria canellis and trish stratus but she would event her her, her kind of very first in-ring appearance for, a, for the longest time in wwe would have been as part of the 2018 royal rumble uh, the the women's Royal Rumble, the very first women's Royal Rumble match, which of course yeah. was eventually won by Asuka. She, uh, I can't remember what number she entered in, uh, but I do. Let, let me just have a quick look, see see if I can find that. Uh, what I do know is that she was eliminated by Nia Jax. So yeah, that, but that's because that's because they were big on the Nia Jax push at that yeah. time. Yes, at that time, yeah. Um, Jacqueline entered at number 21 and was eliminated by Nia Jax lasting a minute and 52 seconds 
of course, this of course also is the same Royal Rumble where um where Oscar's moment was uh, was interrupted by a debuting Ronda Rousey. <laughs> she wants uh... to come out. She wants to come out to her lovely new music and point at the sign. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> and so that was Jacqueline's last appearance for WWE at this time, and that's kind of where we get to the end. Of, of this little retrospective and her career. Now, I just want to say, as I said, completely underappreciated. Oh, yeah, 1 billion percent oh, underappreciated. God. But I feel like everything she did, she was always really freaking good at, whether it was being a wrestler, being a manager. I think her best time as a manager, I still I will still say this was her time with James Storm slash yeah. Money. She was Absolutely. so good. And I feel like she was such a an important part for the knockouts division at that time because, of course, we had Gail Kim and we had Awesome Kong. But, of course, you needed to have an established hand at that time. And who better to have that than be Jackie? Just, wow, what a waste. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here, like, thinking about the totality of it all. Hmm. And it's like, you had someone out there who was so good at what she did. And she's like, she is, she is a woman with a lot of firsts in her career. Like she should be, yeah. she, she needs to be given a, like everybody, you need to give her the plaudits because she is such an important part of the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. Absolute trailblazer. Like just... And it's even crazy when you think about the fact that like three months into wrestling, getting chucked into FMW. I know. <laughs> That's insanity. It still makes me chuckle. Like, here's the thing. She's been cited as such an inspiration for so many women. Uh, Sasha Banks, sorry, Mercedes Monet, Bianca Belair, Jazz, Naomi, uh, Bailey, Nyla Rose, Trisha Dora. Trish Stratus claims... Oh, well, as said in numerous interviews, that were it not for Jacqueline, she probably would not have had so, a good as good a start as she had in her wrestling career. I think she's quoted as saying, I will always appreciate her patience and her professionalism, her professionalism while showing me the ropes. I learned so much from her and took away a ton that I used in my wrestling career moving forward. And something that will pop melee hell but Alicia Fox... Hell yeah! Was quoted as saying that she created what a champion looks like, and she helped open the door for so many women of all colors, shapes, and sizes. Like Jim Ross, Jim Ross will not stop singing her praises, and considers her to be the MVP that rarely gets talked about by by many wrestling fans and wrestling uh, enthusiasts. And you know, I, I agree with Jim Ross. He's, I, yes, I agree. agree I agree. Sting. Gif. <laughs> I'm telling you this right. Melo's gonna be so happy when he re- when he realizes I name dropped Alicia Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Your checks in the mail, uh, Melo. <laughs> Walk the Jacqueline Road. You're damn right. You're damn right. So that I feel. If you're happy, I feel that's where we. Uh, that's a good way to end this episode. Hell because... yeah. Jacqueline, more people. You listen to this, give her more praise. Go out and watch more her matches at USWA. Praise. Watch her TNA stuff. She's so good. So damn Just, good. She she has all of the all of the plaudits. It's ridiculous. 
Damn right, damn right. All right, fellas. As we continue our celebration of the very breast of wrestling here during Black History Month, our next episode is one I'm surprised we haven't done. It, will, it hasn't been done because of clerical errors on our behalf. Yes. But I'm bad time, and I'm so happy we finally get to say we're doing a retrospective on Mark Henry. Let's go. Somebody's well, going to get their ass kicked. I was literally going to say, get, get, ready, get ready for the 10 minutes I geek out about 3-6 Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to sing the whole thing for the intro? No. No. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I am so excited to talk about the life and times of Mark Henry from his start as a strong man being part of the World's Strongest Man contest, eventually making, getting that into a career in the WWF, being part of the nation, eventually becoming and then building, going back to strongman competitions and then making that his entire gimmick. We're going to talk about it all, including the Hall of Pain and the Salmon Jacket. Don't you worry. We are going to engagement yeah. farm so hard. <laughs> so much. That is all coming up on the next episode. Until then, I've been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chin Life Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye, everybody! Bye! Put respect on Jack today, goddammit. Hell yeah!